It is the Christmas season, and um, with that, I am going to bring up a totally random fact, because that's what I do. I, I hear that I have a brain that's full of information that isn't necessarily useful, but when it comes to sermons, sometimes it is. You know, the brain, the human brain is an incredibly amazing thing that God created. Our brain has this unique ability to see patterns in things, to even fill in the gaps at times, to rearrange things in order to assign meaning to them. Let me show you what I mean. Here's a paragraph I want to put up on the screen. It's a picture. Let's see if we can read this together. According to research at Cambridge University, it doesn't matter in what order the letters in a word are. The only important thing is that the first and last letter be in the right place. The rest can be a total mess, and you can still read it without a problem. This is because the human mind does not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> That's my gift to you this morning. Merry Christmas. Look at how our brains can take something like this, these jumbled letters, and they can assign meaning to it. They can assign purpose to it, because the human brain can look at something. And while something might not be explicitly there or the way that we think it should be, we, we, we try and look at the pattern. We say, yeah, no, no, it still makes sense. It, it's, it's still there. Why do I say all that? Because I came across something very fascinating. I have done many Christmas messages. I've preached uh, Advent messages for many years now. And something, though, that I discovered is that during the Advent season, we talk a lot about these three attributes, these three characteristics of peace, hope, faith, and love. But did you know something? In the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth, not one time is the word love mentioned. Not one time is the word love mentioned. And yet at Christmas time, what's one of the things, what's, what's one of the things that we often associate with the coming of Jesus Christ? We associate it with what? Love. This is a loving time of year. And yet when you go through and you read all the narratives about Jesus' birth, you never see the word love love mentioned. And yet, and yet we look back upon his coming and we, and we assign meaning to it. We, we understand in some way that there's, that there's love happening here. And so it's right for us to talk about love, although it doesn't come up in the narrative, although it doesn't come up in the gospel accounts, because guess what? Later New Testament writers, well, they would look back upon Jesus's birth And they would very clearly and expressly talk about it being an act of love. And I want to show you one of the places where they do that. It's in the book of 1 John. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. It's one of the last books of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, use one in the seat in front of you so you can follow along. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 9. I'm going to read 9 through 13. And then we're going to talk about... Advent, the coming of Jesus, and love. Here we go. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever 
seen God, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So, unlike the gospel accounts that don't mention the word love, in reference to Jesus' birth, this text mentions the word love, guess what? 11 times. And it mentions the word love 11 times as John looks back on Jesus' coming, and he can't help but look back upon the coming of Jesus and associate it with with love. In fact, right tucked up at the start of this passage, look back there in verse 9, John is making a clear connection, as clear as you could possibly make it, between the coming of Jesus, his birth, and love. It's as clear as day. Verse 9, in this, and what is the this? Well, the sending of Jesus into the world. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So right here is the first point. Because of Jesus Christ's coming, we know that our God is a God of love. What John is saying when we think about the first advent, when we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, we should be able to look at that and realize something. Because of Jesus Christ's coming, we now know that our God is a God of love. Jesus Christ's coming reveals to us God's love. Another way of saying it would be that we know, or we did not ultimately know or know the extent of God's love until Jesus Christ came into the world. We, we might have had an idea that God was a God of love. We might have had an idea that he loved us, but we don't fully know that until ultimately Jesus Christ came in the world. And I say that because there's this Greek word that's translated manifest in our English translations. And it's this Greek word phanerao. And the Greek word phanerao, it it means to manifest, to reveal, to to make known. And so what's happening here with this little Greek, Greek word is John is coming and saying, listen, in this, the love of God was, was finally revealed. It was manifested. It was made known. If you had questions about whether or not God was a God of love, whether or not he was loving, now you can look at the coming of Jesus Christ and say, yes, I know. I can at least know one thing for sure because now it's been revealed. God is a God of love. And in fact, this little Greek word, phanerao, here's some other places that it's used in in John 3.21, it says, but whoever, does not, but, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. That's at Fanrao, clearly seen. Or 1 Corinthians 4.5, it, it comes and says, therefore, do not pro- pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light, that is to reveal things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart that each one will receive his commendation from God. Ephesians 5.13 says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is, is light. I, I'm showing you these verses because I want us to know something. With the coming of Jesus Christ, there's a, there's a point being made about God. It's that he's a God of love. And we now can actually believe and see that to be true because in Jesus' coming, that was revealed. 
a, a simple way of, of doing this is, you know, at Christmas time, we give out gifts, don't we? Um, and what do we do with our gifts? We, we wrap them up, right? Why do we wrap them? Why do we wrap up our gifts? Be, because we don't want people to what? See, right? You don't, want to, you don't want them to see what's in the gift. You want them to open it up. And then once they open up, it's, it's what? It's revealed. It's, it's made out. You don't know what's in here. In fact, with everybody in this room, I could give each one of you 10 guesses what's in this. And I can guarantee, I would, I shouldn't gamble, um, but I can guarantee you wouldn't even know what's in this because it's currently what? It's hidden. It's wrapped. But when you open it up, it becomes revealed. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have Bill Sands reveal it for us. Here, Bill, would you just open this up right here? And, and, and you know, it's nothing big. It's just a little something, okay? And you get to keep it. And you can give it to whoever you want after this. He's, he's waiting, eager breath. It's nothing that expensive. But what do we, what do we have, Bill? Oh, oh. It's, I'll tell him what. Can you hold it up so they, they can see? It's, it's, a little, it's a little pouch from Israel that I got. And then that's olive wood from Bethlehem. So, so there you go. And it's in the shape of a cross. I know you would like that, Bill. And so it's a little ornament. You don't know what was in there until ultimately the gift is opened up, till it's revealed. The same thing is being said here about our God. There's an aspect of who he is that comes and is displayed. Because the gift's been opened. It's been revealed. Our God is a God of, of love. And I don't think that for those of us who have grown up in the church or have been around church, that this is something new for us. In fact, we all know John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Here's the reality. According to the scriptures, God is a God of love. He is. Jesus coming reveals it. But some people, I, I have no doubt they struggle with the concept of a loving God. Maybe that's you. And maybe part of the reason that you struggle with it is this. How could God be considered loving with all the pain and the suffering in our world? In fact, when you look at the text, you could get really smart with me and you could say, Dave, notice the text says that the love of God was revealed. Maybe God's love is, is different than our love. Maybe his definition of love isn't the best definition if, if things like pain and suffering exist in our, in our world. Maybe it's of a different quality or kind. Well, here's where I need to say something else that the text says. Because the text actually tells us that not just with Christ's coming do we now know that our God is a God of love, but here's the second point. Because of Christ's coming, we know what love is actually is we know what love actually is look at the bold statement made by john here concerning the coming of jesus in this love of god was made manifest among us but then look in verse 10 in this is love not just in this the love of god was made manifest john digs down deeper and he says in this is love and then he explains it Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and, there it is, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What we have here is a declaration that not just was God's love revealed, made known, and displayed, but that love itself, love itself can now be defined and understood Because of the coming of Jesus. Why do I emphasize this? Why is this a big deal to be made? Because because we must have our definition of love driven by God 
and not by us. I don't believe that we even have truly the slightest concept of what love really is if God had not sent Jesus Christ. If God had not revealed his love, we wouldn't know what love is. In fact, it would kind of be like right now, and, and I'm going to show you a little video here. I showed this a long time ago. Some of you might have remembered it, but, I, but it helps to illustrate this point. See, we have this, we have this like loose concept in our human brains of what love, love is, but, but to really have an understanding of love, it's going to take something outside of ourselves. We're kind of like blind men trying to understand color. And I saw this video a while back of a blind man who, who, who actually explains what it's like for him to try and understand color. And, and I would like to propose to you and I that it's, this, is, this is us. We don't really know what, what love is un, until it's revealed to us. So, so watch, watch this video. I guess one of the things you guys are the most curious about is color. How does it work for me? What is it? I don't know. <laughs> so being blind since birth, I've never seen color. I don't have any concept of what it is. I mean, I've never seen anything. But there's this whole part of vocabulary, of language, that doesn't mean anything to me. Over the years, as people have tried and tried and tried to explain color to me, and I just don't understand it. I think the best way to show you is to try and explain to someone who's never heard before what the ocean sounds like or what the birds sound like. And that's where color is for me. Because somebody who's never heard doesn't know what those things are, has no concept, none. And, and people will try and explain a sense with another sense. It's like the way this smells, maybe. That's what a particular color... What? So you're going to tell me you're going to explain what color looks like by my nose? That doesn't make any bloody sense at all. So when somebody says something's red to me, I don't quite get it. I know that red is fire or a stoplight is red. Or when someone says you're in the red, you know, that means you're in some trouble, like financial trouble. Again, just stuff that I picked up from hearing about it, but I don't know what it looks like. Blue. Blue is the water is blue. Cold or ice is blue. Uh, the sky is blue. Now, how can the sky and ice be the same thing? That's weird to me, but it's very, what's that? Same color. Same color means two completely different things. I don't get it. I hear a lot about orange. An or is an orange actually orange? The fruit? I know nothing rhymes with it. There's nothing that rhymes with orange, is there? Way to go, orange. <laughs> Way to be involved in poetry and song. Black. What's black? Black is supposed to be all the colors all smushed together. And then white is the absence of color. So when I hear black and white, to me they're just opposites, right? Because one has everything and the other has none. And then there are things that don't have color, like water. But it doesn't have color, but the ocean does. I don't get that. Color is hard. How do you sighted people keep them all straight? <laughs> I can't even think of anything that's indigo. A car. Right? Is that, they always have weird colors for <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? How can a blind person understand color? All right, here's what I want to say. You and I can't understand love apart from God. All right? This is, this is, this is where this all connects. What, what John is saying here is he's making that bold statement. In this is love. And this is not that you have loved God, 
but that he loved you and sent his son to be a propitiation for your sins. So now we've got to break that down. What, what is it? What is love? Do we even have a concept of love? Because we talk about love all the time. It's a way of thinking about somebody. It's a feeling. Is it just an action? What is love, as Pastor Tony said earlier? The song's right about it, but what is it? From this text, I have for years ascertained what I believe to be God's definition of love because of what he says here. And the first thing that you want to say about it is it comes in two parts. And that is this. Love is, first and foremost, acting for the good of someone else. It's acting for the good of someone else. If, if Christmas is truly going to be transformative, and it can be, we, we see it as transformative because we begin to understand love, and we begin to understand that love is acting for the good of someone else. And where do we see that in the text? Well, look at verse 9 again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, verse 9, that we might, what? Live through him. In the act of God, sending of Jesus, Jesus coming to this earth, all of a sudden now, you're able to have life. I'm able to have life. Let's break it down. It's pretty simple. Is it a good thing to give somebody life? It absolutely is. If somebody is dying and you can come alongside and you can help them. If, if you have an extra organ that you're able to give to a patient who doesn't have organs that are functioning, you give that to them, that, that's giving them life. They can go on living. To give life is a good thing. To take life is a bad thing. So when I come and I say love is acting for the good of someone else, I get that from verse 9 because Jesus comes so that you might live. Everybody wants to have life. And in fact, Jesus says that I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. It's not just that you would live, but you have a life far better than any other life that you could ever imagine. And so, so whatever we're going to say about love, whatever we're going to say about God's love, we would say this. God has acted for our good. He did something. He sent his, his son. That's one aspect of love, but, but there's more to it than that. Than that. Let me ask you this question. How far will you go to act for someone's good? See, the first part of this definition of love is that you and I would act for someone's good. But how far would you go? Now we come and we see the extent of it. Look at this in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God. Notice here John says that, listen, don't be looking to how you love God or even how you love others to define love. That's not the place for us to look. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When was the last time you busted out the word propitiation in, in a conversation? You know, the other day I was with a guy and we were talking about propitiation. We don't talk about it, so we got to define it. Because if love is acting for the good of someone else, now we begin to see here how far love will take us and what love might even require for us. Let me just say this so that we can get to it. Love is acting for the good of someone else, part one. Part two of it is even at great cost to yourself. Even at great cost to oneself. Love is not just simply doing good for somebody else but it's doing it even at great cost to yourself. 
you're willing to go there. You're willing to go above and beyond, even if it costs you. And the key to understanding this is found in two places. First, it says that God sent his only son. Now, I don't know if you fully know this, but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have existed for eternity in perfect, harmonious relationship with one another. And with the creation of the angels, they have been surrounded by a chorus of praise in heaven. Surrounded by a chorus of praise in perfect harmony and union with one another, living in ultimate perfection. So when Jesus Christ leaves the Father to come to this earth which is stained with sin and turmoil and pain and suffering and takes on confined human flesh, if you don't think that 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 cost him in some way, then you really don't understand how magnificent and marvelous and matchless he is and how sin-cursed we are. I can only understand this in small ways. I have an eight-year-old daughter, and one of the things that she literally asks me every night is, Daddy, will you snuggle with me? Can I get an awe? Aw, right? Now, now, that's an awe up to the point that you realize that a number of years ago, my girl's got a triple bunk bed. And, and my daughter, who is eight, decided that she would pick the middle bunk bed as the bed that she wants to, to sleep in. So when my eight-year-old daughter is up in the middle bunk bed and she comes and says, Dad, will you snuggle with me? It's easy for an eight-year-old to climb up a ladder and get into a middle bunk bed. But for a six foot two, 39-year-old man, it's a little bit more challenging, okay? And, and so whenever she asks me to do that, I, I, I literally have to climb up. You, I, do, I don't even want to show you a picture of it. You, you climb up in there. I have to contort myself. It is uncomfortable for me to say the, the least to do it, all right? I would even say it costs me, right? The other day when I was doing that, I was thinking about the incarnation of Jesus. And, and I was thinking, the fact, if I think this inconvenienced me, and I love her dearly and I want to do it, I have no concept of the constraints that Jesus Christ took upon himself to come to this earth. But then it doesn't stop there because the text says that he was, going back to that word, a propitiation for our sins. It's one thing for him to leave the praises and the glories of heaven to come down. But then it says that he was this propitiation for our sin. To, to understand that, let me ask you some questions here. Do you hate it? Do you hate it when you hear that somebody has murdered a child? Do, do you hate it when a handicapped person is bullied? When you see that? When a dictator abuses his people, when, when someone withholds medical treatment from somebody else, like, do you think that these are horrendous things and that people who enact them against somebody else should be punished? We all do. We say that's wrong. Because those people, we believe, deserve punishment. No one should treat somebody that way. Well, it says in verse 10, that Jesus Christ came to this earth as a propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation means, mean? It means this. 
a sacrifice that satisfies God's wrath and turns it to favor. That's what a propitiation is. A sacrifice that satisfies, and specifically in this context, God's wrath and turns it into favor. What this verse is telling us is that Jesus came into the earth to act as a sacrifice because there is a punishment that humanity deserved, that you and I deserved, that had to be atoned for, that had to be satisfied. Now, a lot of people have a hard time with the idea of God's wrath, him punishing people for, for, for wrongdoing. But you and I just agreed earlier that there are things that we look out and we see, those deserve punishment. I hate that kind of thing. Well, God hates sin too. The deal, though, with God is, is he doesn't put it on a sliding scale. Sin is sin is sin. The, the murder of a child, withholding treatment from somebody else, all of these sins in God's eyes deserve punishment as much as my speaking out in anger, my lying, my deception, my fill in the blank. And God says there's only one way for me to appease, to appease my wrath, and that's for somebody to literally die for it. And so that is what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to die, to be the sacrifice necessary to satisfy the wrath of God. And the very simple reason why he had to do this is this. Have you ever noticed in verse 10 where it says, in this is love? Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Do you know what John's actually saying here? In this is love, not that we have loved God. You see, the truth of humanity of you and I is we do not love as we ought. We do not love as we should. And that is why Christ had to die. There are two commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. And in order for God to be satisfied with you, you must obey those two things perfectly. Loving him perfectly all the time and loving your neighbor perfectly all the time. I hope nobody raises their hand. Anybody done that? The answer is no. No one has, yet that's God's standard. That's why he says, don't you dare look at how you love somebody else or how you love God as an assessment of what love actually is. It's because we don't love that Jesus Christ had to come. See, my love for God and my love for anyone else really is not love at all because deep down inside of us, we're all marked by sin. We fall short of the glory of God, and so we're all under his judgment. And so you want to know the depths of how, of how far Jesus was willing to go to act for your good. He was willing to go to the cross and to die for you, to take on the wrath and the judgment of God in its fullness so that you might have life. This is why I say no human definition of love can hold a candle to it. We are blind people who don't know what love is until we look to the God of the universe and how he acted for our good even at great cost to himself. He has done that. And that's why 
we sing the song this morning, the first Noel. If this is true, then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught, and with his blood mankind hath what? Bought. This is why we rejoice. This is why with one accord we sing praises, because as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. My friends, the word love is never used one time in the gospel accounts in reference to the birth of Jesus Christ. But it's there for us on full display. Because God came down. Because God came down. He came down to do what we could not do because he wanted to seek to redeem and to make new and to save those who were lost. The God who made the heaven and the earth is a God of love. You can know that. You can believe that, not just simply because he defines love, but because he has acted in love. Do you know God to be this? Do you know Jesus Christ to be the one who gave his life for you. See, real love is acting for the good of another person, even at great, great cost to oneself. You and I have not loved as we should. Because of that, we're under judgment. But God sent Jesus to save us. Today, you can say, I am loved. Today, I know what love is because Jesus came to this earth and died for me. And if you know that love to be true, then here's how the good news gets even greater. Here's why the angel, as we looked at last week, could proclaim, I have good news of great joy, and it's for all people. Because of this, listen to this, being a recipient of God's love means you are now capable of loving. See, if you know this love, if I know this love, it's transformative. If I have received this kind of love, then what John says is is that we are now able to actually love and spread his love around. And this isn't us just getting all kumbaya. Look at what he says here in verse 11. He says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to do what? Love one another. My question to you is, are you beloved? Do you know that he sent his son for you as an act of his love? If you know that, if you have received his love, it means now you are capable of loving. And when you and I love, verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We're able to show off this love. You cannot love like this. You cannot seek the good of someone else, even at great cost to yourself, if you yourself have not first been loved. There's this quote from C.S. Lewis that I read many years ago and has always rung in my ears. He says these words, the Christians, the Christian thinks any good he does comes from the Christ life inside him. He does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Just as the roof of a greenhouse does not attract the sun 
because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines on it. The love of God has been poured into our hearts. It's been poured into our lives. And what happens when that comes to us is that it transforms us into people who love. It's Christmas time. I don't want to get down, and I don't intend this next statement to be, to be down. But if you do not act for others, people good, others good, even at great cost to yourself, a question you have to ask yourself, if you do not love in this way, the question is, do I know the love of God for myself? People who have been loved by God, according to what God says, become a loving people. And so a husband who at the end of the day comes home and is tired from his work and what he has dealt with in the workplace. Yes, you're tired. Yes, you've been through what you've been through, but you just don't go and plop yourself down on the couch and just sit there and veg in front of the television or computer screen or whatever it is for the rest of the day and say, you know what, I've already done what I need to do. But instead, if you have a family, you look out and you say, I want to seek the good of those around me because although I am tired, I go above and beyond because that is what my God has done for me. On the flip side, the wife who sees the husband come home exhausted at the end of the day who's been just talking to children all day and, and, and that gets tiring and, and you just want some human interaction or somebody to take over for, for a few minutes sees your husband coming home tired and thinking at the same point, whether or not he gets his bottom off of the couch and comes over and helps me, I can still seek his good and serve him and love him even if it's not reciprocated. Can you imagine a home let me ask you this. Do you ever pray for a home where people who so understand the love of God live it out? Think of a home where two people are seeking the good of one another, even if it costs them. I've said this before. If you have a home that has two people doing that, if you have a relationship that has two people doing that, if you have a church family who is filled with people who have been loved by Jesus Christ, they don't care what the other person's going to do for them in the church. They're always going to go after the other person in their church family, and they're going to seek their good because that's what the Father's done. Can you imagine communities and places like that? The Word of God comes to us this Christmas, Sunday morning, and it says to us, Beloved, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Do you know that love? Do you have that love? Will you now go and share that love? I pray that we will. Let's pray together. Lord, you've showered blessing upon blessing, kindness upon kindness, mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace. All that we have today, we do not deserve. All that we have today is because of the great cost of Jesus Christ coming to this earth. Lord, help us to see, understand the love that has been shown to us. And Lord, let us go forward in that love to a world, singing praises to our heavenly Lord and making his love known first in our homes, with one another, in our church family, in the community around us. We pray now and we ask these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.